All right. Good morning. Happy to see each of you all today in the house of the Lord. And we've come now to the end of our series on the life of Joseph. Now, there's so much more to talk about. There's so many other details. We've just sort of been trying to hit some of the, the main topics here. And so uh, I would encourage you, again, just to read through the story, study it a little bit more, meditate on it. Um, there's a really good book that I recommend uh, by a man named R.T. Kendall, and it's called God Meant It for Good, and he goes into a lot more detail um, in, this, in the story of uh, Joseph. So if you get a chance to read that, that would be awesome. So just as a quick recap um, from week one, what we looked at, we first saw how rejection is painful. Okay, in the whole story of Joseph, we saw how the Lord is with us in our pain, and we saw how Christ accepts us uh, into his family. Then when we went to week two, right, when, uh, we saw a little bit about how Joseph knew what sin was when Joseph was going through this whole process of temptation. Joseph fought to preserve his integrity, and despite doing everything right, Joseph still lost, Okay. Uh, then the third week, we looked at how trials come to prove us and how we need to use our gifts in order to serve others, and we need to also trust the timing of the Lord. Last week, as we were looking a little bit at forgiveness, we were looking at how in God's mercies, he gives us a chance to repent, how forgiveness is difficult but powerful with God's help. We saw some stories along that line, and, and lastly, we also saw how love conquers vengeance. So instead of trying to pay back people for the evil they've done to us, we pay, pay it back with, with love. And so today we're going to look at this last uh, section in the, in the story of Joseph, chapters 46 through to 50 in the book of Genesis. And just as a quick recap of what happens in this chapter, Jacob discovers, Jacob, who's Joseph's father, discovers that Joseph's still alive. So he packs his bag and he goes down to Egypt. On the way, he has an encounter with the Lord who tells him not to be afraid to go into Egypt and to trust uh, that the Lord will bring his family back to the promised land. So Jacob takes his whole family down to Egypt. Uh, Jacob meets Pharaoh and uh, they settle in the land of Goshen because they are shepherds, right? They are shepherds. That was one of the questions, okay? Uh, the famine is severe in the land. Joseph ends up buying up all the land of Egypt except the land of the priests uh, in exchange for food because the people just want food to be able to eat and survive. Pharaoh, and then he imposes a tax on them. Um, and so they got to pay a 20% tax on all of the crops that they have later on. Joseph's a great CEO. He's a great administrator, as we saw before. And so he does all of these things uh, in order for the benefit of Pharaoh in the future. Uh, Jacob then takes Manasseh and Ephraim, the two sons of Joseph, and he blesses them and he takes them as his own sons to be able to be equated with Jacob's own children. Uh, Jacob makes Joseph swear that he won't bury him in Egypt but that he'll take him back to the land of Canaan and bury him uh, with his fathers, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah, and with uh, his wife, Leah. So Jacob dies, and then after Jacob dies, the brothers are all scared. We talked about this last week. The brothers are all scared. What is Joseph going to do to us now? Is he going to take vengeance on us because of every, everything that we did uh, towards him? And Joseph says, don't worry, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to take care of you. Joseph is sad that they haven't realized yet that he'd actually forgiven them. Um, because Joseph is actually seeing things through God's perspective. That's where we get our theme verse. Um, 
which if we can get on the middle screen, is that God meant it for, for good. So Joseph um, uh, made his family a promise as well at the end of the story that when they leave Egypt, which Joseph said would eventually happen, that they should take um, his bones with them. And finally, Joseph dies. So in this whole process in chapters 46 to 50, what are some of the lessons that we can learn um, in these things? And so the first thing that I'd like to touch upon is to embrace the change that the Lord allows. Embrace the change that the Lord allows. Uh, Throughout the story of of Joseph, we see him going through all of these uh, stages of life with significant changes. Um, He was comfortable at home with his father. He was being spoiled by his father, but then he was sold into slavery. And after that, he was falsely accused and then thrown into prison. And then he was exalted over the whole land of Egypt. So he's going through all of these uh, areas of uh, huge changes in his life. But at every stage, the thing that we see is that Joseph made full use of the season that he was in for the glory of God. Uh, He didn't throw a pity party and he didn't say, oh, woe is me, why am I in this situation? No, but Joseph made full use of every season of his life. He didn't waste any time, right? He didn't murmur, he didn't complain, but he took advantage of his circumstances. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, for everything there is a season and for every activity and a time for every activity under heaven. Dear friends, we have to understand that we go through different seasons of life and some seasons will be better than other seasons. Some seasons will be higher and some seasons will be lower. Some seasons will be good. Some seasons will be bad, but we have to know the season that we're living in and take full advantage of that season, right? We know now it's the winter season. Would you walk out of your house with a pair of shorts and a t-shirt on? I hope not. Why? Because you know it's the winter season, so you, take, you are prepared for that. And so in our lives, we have to understand and embrace the season that we are in. And each season for Joseph was a preparatory step for the next season that God wanted to bring him to. So the question here is, what are we doing in the season that God has us in? Are we taking full advantage of that? Are we embracing that season and are we allowing that to be used in order so that we can be prepared for that for the next season. An interesting verse in Psalm 1 in verse 3, it says, they are like the trees, talking about just, they are like the trees planted along the riverbank, bearing what? Fruit each season. Each season there's fruit that's being uh, produced. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. And so God wants that to happen in our lives as well. We need to be fruitful in the season that we're in. But what I want to look at actually this morning is the drastic and enormous change, not actually in Joseph's life, but in Jacob's life. Now, Jacob had to leave Canaan and come into the land of Egypt. Canaan was the land that was promised to Jacob. It was promised to his fathers, Isaac and Abraham as well. And so this was a big decision for Jacob to leave everything that he had in Canaan, which is what God had promised to him, and now come into the land of, of Egypt. And maybe he was thinking, should I go? Should I stay? Should I go or should I stay? Now, he could have done two things. He could have gone and seen Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, good to see you again. I'm happy that you're alive. Can you just send me enough food back for the remaining five years so that I could survive in Canaan? And Joseph might have done that, Right. Or he could have left most of his stuff in Canaan and come to Egypt and say, hey, I'm just coming for five years. As soon as this famine's over, I'm heading back to the promised land. 
But Jacob didn't say any of those things. He actually embraced the decision. He embraced the change to go from Canaan all the way over to, to, um, to Egypt. Now, it was very different for his father Isaac. It's interesting. In Genesis 62, it talks about how there was a famine in the land. Genesis 26, sorry. It says, a severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. The Lord appeared to Isaac, who was Jacob's father, and said, what did he say? Do not go down to Egypt. But do as I tell you, live here as a foreigner in the land and I will be with you and bless you. I hear, and I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. So Isaac was told, don't go down into Egypt. Just trust me in the land of Canaan. I know there's a famine going on, but Isaac, hang out here. I'll take care of you. So this, Jacob would have known this story of what happened to his father. And now he's faced with decision, this decision. Should I go down to Egypt or should I stay here in the promised land? The place that was promised to me. The place that God promised to my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. But now as an old man, and having spent many years in various places, for this big change to happen in Jacob's life was something that was really tough. What if God were to ask you to do something drastic? What if God were to ask you to serve him in a way that's maybe out of your comfort zone or out of your box? What if the Lord were to ask you to sacrifice something that you are not entirely comfortable with? Or to step out in faith without knowing what the future holds? Do you know what Jacob does? He goes to a place. What's the name of that place? Beersheba. That was one of the questions as well, right? Uh, when I went to Israel last year, I was able to go to Beersheba, and right outside the walls of, of uh, Beersheba is this well. And some people think of it as Abraham's well or Isaac's well. Now, we don't know 100% for sure, but you can see here, this part right here is the well, and then the water would come down the trough here, and on this side is another picture of the well. And it's a, it's a large well, like we dropped a rock down there, and it took a long time for us to hear the and there's water still there because we heard it splash. So there, there's a well outside, uh, outside the walls of the old city of what was, what was Beersheba. But the, the question is, what was significant about Beersheba that Jacob decided to go there on his way to Egypt? In Genesis chapter 21, we read about how Abraham swore an oath at Beersheba. In Genesis 26, we read about how God appeared to Isaac at Beersheba. And promised to bless him there. Both of them dug wells. Again, talking about this well at Beersheba. So Jacob, knowing the significance of Beersheba, stopped on the way to Egypt. Maybe he was unsure. Maybe he didn't know what to do. He's like, Lord, should I really go down to Egypt? I really want to see my son Joseph. And there's this famine in the land. Lord, what should I do? I'm unsure. So on the way to Egypt, Jacob says, I'm going to stop in Beersheba. And I'm going to seek the Lord because I want to know what God wants me to do. And that's what happens, because in Genesis chapter 46, it says, So Jacob set out for Egypt with all of his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And what does it say? During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father, the voice said. Do not be afraid. To go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and here's the significant part I will bring you back again. 
See, Jacob stopped in a place where he knew that God spoke to Abraham. Jacob stopped in a place where he knew that God spoke to Isaac. And in this critical juncture where he was trying this huge change in Jacob's life now to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt, Jacob said, I'm going to go back to Beersheba and I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to offer sacrifices. I'm going to build an altar here and I'm going to say, God, I need to know what you want me to do. And in God's mercies, God came and spoke to Jacob. And God met him there at Beersheba. It wasn't easy, but Jacob embraced the change because God, was able, God spoke to him. And I want to encourage you in various changes of life and stages of life, I want to encourage you to seek the face of the Lord. Maybe it's to, to remember the times when God spoke to you, when God's voice was clear to you, when God led you and guided you, and come back to those experiences. Come back to that first love. Come back to that way of walking with the Lord in zeal and walking with the Lord in, in intimacy. Come back to that place of hearing God's voice. Take that step of faith. Take that chance. Maybe it's to entrust your life to the Lord and to give Jesus a chance. Take that step. Maybe it's to surrender and sacrifice to God. Take that step. Maybe it's a big career change in order to bring the gospel to more people. Take that step. You know, uh, this month of February is Black History Month. And I, I wanted this morning just to highlight a couple of people, I think, that are very significant and people that actually uh, caused a huge, huge change. And I want to tell you the story of um, a lady named Viola Desmond. And she's actually now on our $10 bill, the Canadian $10 bill. And uh, she was a person that embraced change, regardless of what actually was going on in society around her. She was a businesswoman in Canada, and she went to New Glasgow, Nova Scotia in 1946 to expand her business, and she bought a ticket to a movie theater, and she didn't realize that the, the African Canadians had to sit in the balcony, whereas all the others could sit on the main floor. So, but she went and sat on the main floor, and she was um, asked to leave, and she refused, and the police were called, and she was dragged out, and she even injured her hip. She was kept overnight in prison. The following morning, despite not having done anything wrong, she was imposed a fine of, of $20. And besides being imposed a fine, she was charged with uh, defrauding the government of Nova Scotia of a difference in tax because there was a difference of price for the ground floor seats and the balcony seats, which amounted to a total of one cent. Desmond decided to fight the charges, and clearly the issue was about her ethnicity, and she was, and uh, the racist seating policy that was in place. And it wasn't about tax evasion. Um, in taking the matters to court, uh, Viola Desmond, she, ex she uh, galvanized the public opinion and uh, raised awareness of what was the reality of segregation in Canada. And her case was publicized, and, and uh, incidents of racial discrimination in, in Canadian history became very prominent. And that was part of the start of the modern civil rights movement in Canada. Uh, in 2010, she was granted a posthumous pardon, um, which was the first to be granted in Canada. And the government of Nova Scotia apologized for prosecuting her for tax evasion and acknowledged that she was rightfully resisting racial discrimination. And in 2018, last year, she became the first Canadian-born woman to appear alone on a Canadian banknote on the $10 bill. She embraced change. Despite everything that was going on around her, 
despite all of the pressures of society and besides all of the discrimination was there, she embraced change. What about in our lives today? What is the Lord asking of us? What is the season that God has us in and what is the season God is going to take us into? The second thing is that the Lord calls us to live by faith through hope. There's something very interesting that I noticed in these chapters uh, from 46 to 50 that I really believe exemplifies faith and hope. I see Jacob and Joseph as visionaries, as prophets, as people who looked beyond the natural realm of things and saw beyond this life. They walked by faith and not by sight, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. They were, they were people of faith. They were, they were people of hope. And they were people that could see beyond even what was happening in this life. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, speaking about Abraham, it says, By faith Abraham, this is Jacob's grandfather, this is Isaac's father, this is Joseph's great-grandfather. By faith Abraham, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived, what? Intense. With who? Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. What was that promise? That their children would inherit the promised land. For he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Can you see that they were promised this promised land of Canaan, but they were also looking for something more, something enduring, something lasting, something that was eternal. And these men of God, they live by faith through hope for what God had promised to them. And the Lord is calling us as well in these days to live by faith through hope. Now, how do we know some of these things? I'm just going to highlight four things, uh, really, that we can see in these chapters. Number one is that Jacob asked Joseph to bury him in the promised land, right? In Genesis chapter 47, Verses 29 to 30, it says, When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. See, in the Old Testament, the burial, the burial place was something that was very important. We don't know the exact reason. We can speculate. We don't know for sure. Uh, maybe it could have been for the hope of resurrection as well. We don't know. Abraham, of course, had that hope as, as we just read here. He looked for, for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. But there was something about being buried together that gave them hope for the future. Even today, people are, are buried together. They would want to be buried with their, with their loved ones. But it's interesting, in Hebrews 11, it says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to what? A country that they can call their own. It says, if they had longed for that country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, so talking about these verses and talking about these men of faith like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this idea that they were looking for this city, this idea that they were just sojourners in this land, they were just foreigners in this land. And so Jacob said, look, Joseph, I don't want to be buried here in Egypt, but I want to be going and be buried in the promised land. There was something, there was something futuristic that Joseph had, Jacob had in his mind. There was something that he was looking for in the future in a, in a very uh, visionary sense, in a very prophetic sense. He was looking for something to happen in the future. I don't want to hang around here in Egypt. I want to be in the promised land. 
And it's interesting because Joseph makes the same request and he asks his family to take his bones with them when they leave Egypt for the promised land. Now, Joseph was, was, again, he was a visionary and he was able to see into the future and he realized, look, we are not going to be in Egypt forever. We have it really good right now because I'm next to Pharaoh and every, we got the best land of Goshen. Everything is going really well for us, but time to come, things are not going to be like that. And we're going to want to leave Egypt and we're going to want to go back to the promised land because that is where God promised us to be. And so when you go back to the promised land, I don't know when that's going to be. It's going to be later on, but when you go back, listen, guys. I don't want to be left here. Now, he was going to be dead, long gone. But he said, don't leave my bones here. There's something very visionary about that, something very prophetic about that. When he, when he wanted something like this to happen, Genesis 50, it says, soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers. But God will surely come, what? To help you. Can you see here this, this vision that Joseph has for the future? He says here, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He had this vision. He had this idea. We are going to inherit the promised land. God promised it to us. We're not there right now, but God is going to give it to us. And when he does give it to us, I want my bones to be there as well. Dear friends, do we have such a vision for our lives? Do we have such an aim and purpose for our lives? Is that what we are looking for? Are we looking for that city that God is building for us? Is there a hope that we have beyond this life? Is there a hope that extends beyond the grave? How are we living our lives? Is it just for the temporary things of this world or does our hope extend beyond that? Do we have a purpose for our lives today? Are we looking to be able to share the love of God, to be able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the the far corners of this world and to be able to share God's love and the hope that God gives us with so many people that don't know anything about that? What is the aim and purpose of our lives? See, Joseph was a visionary. He was able to see some of these things. And so he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. He knew what was going to happen. It's interesting because in the book of Hebrews, it also says in verse, chapter 11, verse 22, it says, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. See, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's a chapter of faith. It's known as the, the heroes of faith. And in that chapter, here it's spoken about, it says, Joseph, by faith, he spoke about, and he said, there's going to come a time when there's going to be an exodus out of here. We're leaving this place. And when you leave, don't forget about me. And Moses didn't. He took the, the bones of Joseph with him when, when, when the exodus happened. That happens in the next book. I think the third thing that we see here as well with this, this visionary, this prophetic sense of Jacob and Joseph, it says that Jacob blesses uh, Manasseh and Ephraim knowing that Ephraim would be greater than Manasseh. So basically what happened is Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And what happened is Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob, right? And Jacob prays over them and blesses them. I want to encourage parents, you know, you pray over your children, bless them. You know, it's something that's good for you to do. Maybe in the mornings before they go to school, pray over them, bless them, send them off to school. Maybe at significant times in their lives, at birthdays or, or significant uh, events. And for, for Jacob and Joseph, this was a significant time because Jacob was getting ready to die. And so Joseph was like, hey, you better bless my children. And it's good for, for that to be done. And so what happens is that they bring, Joseph brings Manasseh and Ephraim. Now Manasseh was the firstborn, and so that was significant as well. And so what was supposed to happen was Manasseh was supposed to be on this side and 
and Jacob was supposed to put his, his right hand on Manasseh, and he was supposed to put his left hand on Ephraim. But jo- Jacob was what? He was a visionary. And so he, instead of putting his hands like this, do you know what he did? He did that. And the right hand went on Ephraim, and the left hand went on Manasseh. And what did Jacob say? When this happened, Joseph said, but his father refused. When Joseph said, hey, Jacob, my father, don't do that. Manasseh is the firstborn, not Ephraim. And it says here, but his father refused. And Jacob said, I know my son, I know. He replied, Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater. How did he know this? How did he know that Ephraim would become greater? But see the the visionary, the, the prophetic nature of this man of God. He said, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. See, Jacob knew Jacob was able to see he had, he had eyes of faith. He lived by faith through hope because he was this, this visionary, this prophetic nature behind J- Jacob to be able to see what was going to come to pass. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, what did he do? He blessed the sons of Joseph and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. Parents, I want to encourage you. Lean on your staff. Bless your children. Encourage them. Send them off with the blessing. Let the word of God be in your mouth and let it come forth out of your lips and let it rest upon your children. We need to be people of vision as well. We need to have an understanding of God's purpose for our life and God's, and God's goal for our life and what God wants us to accomplish with our lives. It's, it's interesting here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, that is what the scripture means when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, And no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things. How? By his spirit. I think that's how Jacob knew as well. He had this understanding of what was going to come to pass because I believe he was led of the Lord. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Dear friends, dear people of God, let's be people like that, that know the heart of God, that understand God's will and purpose and walk with him and follow him and hear his heartbeat and and understand and be led by his spirit so that we can accomplish God's will in our lives. And I think the last thing, the last thing here that we see is that Jacob blesses his sons. Now, in chapter 49, you read this whole chapter of Jacob blessing his, his, his children. Now, some of them aren't really blessings. Some of them are really curses, actually. Right, because some of these sons really were upset with, with uh, or Jacob was upset with. But the majority of it is there is is a blessing, right? But it's interesting. Remember who was the one son I told you to remember from our quiz? Who was it? Judah. This guy is so interesting in this whole story. Now Judah was the guy that had the bright idea to sell Joseph. He came up and told his brothers, "Hey, why do we want to kill Joseph? Let's just sell him into slavery." Bright idea, right? But then his whole character and his whole ideas changed around later on because when they have to bring Benjamin into Egypt, remember we talked about this last week, and then when Benjamin was going to be kept as a slave and Joseph was testing and trying his brothers, who stood up and said, no, take me as a slave? Judah. 
And it's interesting because now when Jacob blesses Judah, this prophetic visionary to see the future, to see and understand God's purposes and God's will. What does, I love this part. This is amazing. This is Jesus right here. You're not excited about Jesus. This is Jesus right here in Genesis 49. Look, it says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one who it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor years and years and years and thousands of years before Jesus even stepped foot on this earth. Jacob knew that Jesus would come on this earth and that he would come through Judah. I don't know. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know. Like, this is amazing. Can you see how Jesus was probably, like, I mean, you see prophecies about Jesus all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, but here you see this visionary. You see this guy that's, that's looking with eyes of faith, that's living by faith through hope to know that through Judah is coming the one whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. To see Jesus that's there. Judah is such an interesting character, right? Messes up royally. Then has a huge change around. And then Jacob says, yeah, yeah, Judah, you know, through your lineage, Jesus is going to come. I don't know. I love that story because I mess up so many times. And if God can change around Judah's story from a big mess to be the person and lineage through which Jesus comes, that's exciting to me. I don't know. Maybe all of you all are perfect. But I mean, like for me, it's just, you know, it's exciting that it's like I have some hope here for me. Right? Hebrews chapter 11, it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for it is the evidence of things we cannot see but see with eyes of faith eye has not seen ear has not heard neither has entered into the heart of man the things that god has prepared for those who love him but he's revealed it by his spirit let's be people led by the spirit of god joseph knew the dreams that the lord had given him would one day come to pass he knew that his brothers would come and bow down to him one day and it's interesting in genesis 43 we see this happen it says they replied this is the brother speaking this is before they knew who joseph was in genesis 43 they replied your servant our father is still alive and well and what happens here and they bowed down prostrating themselves before him can you see that It says here, this is the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. They bowed down and they prostrated themselves before him. Joseph got those dreams when he was a young man and he held on to them and he knew that one day it would come to pass. He lived by faith with hope. This is the power of faith. It's the power of vision. It's the power of hope. What has the Lord spoken to you? What are the promises that he's given to you? What is the word that you're holding on to? Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. He will complete that work in your life. Back to Black History Month today, and I want to tell you the story of this man, Martin Luther King Jr. He was a visionary as well. He was a Baptist minister who fought for civil rights for African Americans, and he was the leader of the civil rights movement in the United States from 1954 until he was assassinated in 1968. And uh, he was best known for advancing civil rights through nonviolence and civil disobedience. And his Christian faith is what encouraged him towards fighting for these rights. But one of the seminal moments in his life was his speech that he gave, I have a dream. August 28, 1963, and he called for civil and economic rights and an, end to, and an end to racism. And from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, which is where this picture is from, from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, Dr. Martin Luther King 
said this very famous speech that's now been, um, has become one of the greatest speeches in American history. I'm just going to read you parts of it. He said, he said, I have a dream that one day this nation, this, this, he was a visionary. He was looking for something, and his Christian faith and beliefs are the ones, is the thing that molded and formed this vision that he had. And he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I will go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out the, out of the mountain, the, dis, the dis, dis, out of mountain of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of bro- brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. He was a visionary. He lived by, the, by faith that inspired him to lead this, this, this movement to gain equal rights. His ideals of racial equality were founded in his Christian and biblical beliefs that were all created in the image of God. He's a visionary. Live by faith through hope to see that one day people will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Number three, the last thing, and this is the main thing I think that I've been trying to emphasize throughout the whole series, and I just want to conclude on this one point. The Lord protects, delivers, and saves his people. We come back to our, our theme verse, right, from the beginning of this, of this series. You intended to harm me, Joseph said, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could what? Save. This is the point. Save. Save the lives of many people. This is the ultimate lesson that we learn in the story of Joseph, and it's the theme of redemption that we see all throughout the Bible, that God saves his people, God protects his people, God delivers his people. Joseph went through so many hardships, through problems, difficulties, trials, misunderstandings, rejections, abandonment, all of these things. But God allowed all of that so that he could be used to save Jacob and his family from the famine. God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would bless them and multiply their descendants as the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. But he couldn't do that until he saved them from starvation, from this famine. It's the same thing that we saw when we looked at the story of Ruth and how God preserved Naomi and Ruth, and through them came King David. It's the same thing that we saw in the story of Esther, how God used Esther to preserve his people from a holocaust, from a genocide. And here's the question that I want to leave with you. How does God use you in the situations of life and what you've gone through to bring salvation to the lives of many people through the gospel? See, the trials and testings that he's allowing in your life and in my life is to prepare us for a purpose and a plan. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared, but he reveals it by his spirit. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't let your trials go to waste. Don't let your rejection go to waste. Don't let those misunderstandings go to waste. Don't let the abandonment go to waste. 
Don't let the hardships go to waste. Don't let the pain go to waste. Don't let the hurt go to waste. Don't let what God is allowing in your life go to waste, but let it use you to prepare you. So that, as Joseph said, to bring, to save the lives of many people. Can you make the same confession for your life? Can we say this together? Right? It's right there. On three, one, two, three. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. The Lord has brought you to this position, to this place in your life, so that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, so you can bring the hope of salvation to others. And maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. I want to encourage you today. You're not here by chance. You're not here just out of randomness. You're here because God wants you to hear the gospel of salvation. You're here because Jesus wants to give you hope. You're here because Jesus wants to fill you with his love. You know, Jesus faced rejection, pain, humiliation, abandonment, suffering, torture, hurt, trials. All of this Jesus went through. And God used all of that so that he could save the whole world. So that he could bring redemption through mankind. And Joseph is a type of Christ. The rejection and misunderstandings and suffering that he went through brought salvation to many, saved the lives of many people. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your life today, Galatians 6 verse 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up. You might be going through a really hard time right now. Don't give up. You might be facing a really hard rejection. Don't give up. You might be facing a lot of hurt and pain. Don't give up. At the right time, you'll receive a harvest of blessing. Last the singers and musicians to come. I just want to close with one more story. Um, this is Frederick Douglass. One of the reasons why February is, is called Black History Month is because Abraham Lincoln, who signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, his birthday was in February. And Frederick Douglass's birthday as well was in February. Last year was the 200th anniversary of his, of his birth. And he was an abolitionist, a social reformer, a statesman, a writer, an orator. He was born a slave in 1818. But Douglass taught himself to read and he taught other slaves to read the New Testament. And miraculously, he, he escaped slavery and, and eventually he came to Massachusetts where he became a minister and, and joined the abolitionist movement. But one thing that's really significant to me is that Frederick Douglass was a prophetic voice. He called America to repentance from, his, from its hypocrisy. He called America to, uh, and people to walk in true biblical faithfulness by loving others, by fulfilling the words of Christ. After, after his conversion, when he was 13 years old, one older man mentored him and told him, the Lord has a great work for you to do. Now you must prepare to do it. In the same way that Joseph was prepared in different seasons and stages of his life for this ultimate time of where he would rule over Egypt and save the lives of many people, God was preparing Frederick Douglass. He became a pastor in Massachusetts and he began to practice some of his preaching skills and that helped him to become one of the finest orders uh, for the abolitionist uh, movement. And through his writings and his speaking, he was able to convince others of the moral evils of slavery. And... Um, 
at one point in his life, there was a chance because he was gaining popularity that he could be arrested again because it was federal law at that time that he could be as a, as a black man. And two people raised enough money to buy his freedom for, you know how much? $710.96. He was 28 years old at the time. But he was finally free. But he rebuked the self-deception and the, the spiritual blindness of the church at the time. And he said that there was so much hypocrisy of, of thanking God for, for this freedom that he gives, but keeping slaves from enjoying that freedom. And in his first biography, he wrote, he said, I love the pure, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. And he was a prophetic voice that called out for change. He was a prophetic voice that lived by faith through hope. He was a prophetic voice at that time to call people to repentance. He said, these ministers make religion a cold and flinty-hearted thing, having neither principles of right, or, of, of right action nor bowels of compassion. They strip the love of God of its beauty and leave the throng of religion a huge, horrible, repulsive form. It is religion of oppressors, tyrants, man-stealers, and thugs. It is not that pure and undefiled religion from which from above is first pure, then peaceable, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He knew that, that Christianity that supported oppression and violence misrepresented God's character and it would hinder people from knowing the true character and nature of God. And so he preached and he declared and he advocated for the truth of the gospel. And his fight for justice was a fight to see people clearly, which in turn, fight to see, to see how God saw correctly so that people could see each other clearly. And it was an indelible legacy that was left by him of faith and courage and service and sacrifice. And the Lord used him the experience that he had as a kid, in, as a slave, the Lord used that to bring freedom to many, many people. He used him to clarify the gospel of Jesus Christ to a nation that was lost. And so we see throughout all these weeks, we've seen the stories of Joseph, we've seen the, the lessons that we could learn. And if there's one thing that I want you to remember is that our life situations and circumstances, God is allowed to mold us and shape us and transform us. And he's allowed all of these things. I don't know what your story is, but it's an amazing story. I don't know what trials that you have gone through, but I want to tell you, don't let them go to waste. I don't know what hurts and rejections that you've gone through, but I want to tell you, don't let that go to waste. Frederick Douglass didn't. He used that experience, that rejection, that pain, that suffering that he went through, and he turned it around and he proclaimed the gospel. And I want to tell you today that God wants to use you too. And he wants, you to use, wants to use every situation of your life, no matter how painful or how hurtful, to bring something good in your life. So whatever the trial or testing it is today, I want to tell you, hold on to the promises of God, because God is faithful. He'll help you through. Just as he was with Joseph, he'll be with you. We're going to sing this song that we've sung quite a number of times before. This we know. You are who you say you are. You'll do what you'll say you'll do. You'll be who you've always been to us, Jesus. Our hope is in you alone. Our hope is in Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. 
Our strength is in your mighty name. Our peace in the darkest day remains, Jesus. This we know we will see the enemy run. This we know we will see the victory come. And it ends and it says, we hold on to every promise you ever made because, Jesus, you are unfailing. And I just want to encourage you today, hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to what God has spoken to you. Hold on to his word. It might be tough right now. It might be difficult right now. It might be hurtful right now. It might be painful right now. But hold on, because in due season, you'll reap a harvest of blessings. Let's sing to the Lord.